1: welcome to safety fm's virtual town hall here's our moderator for the
2: event the host of the jay allen show
3: and rated R
2: safety show and creator of safety fm dr.
1: dr jay
4: allen well hello and welcome to this first town hall meeting ever being put on by safety fm i do appreciate you coming out here and taking a look at what we have going on today immediately i want to just jump in have some conversations on what is going on in the world today a lot of people had contacted me once things started moving and going about and i wanted to jump in as soon as possible and bring some of the hosts on from safety fm to have a conversation with us in these interesting times that we are going through so i'm i don't want to take up too much of your time and let's kind of get you started here and let's get our first host onto the stage
1: Welcome to nationally known speaker and host of the Essential Leadership Cycle podcast, Rob Fisher.
5: Well, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, My name is Rob Fisher. I own a company called Fisher Improvement Technologies, and we've spent about the last 30 years helping organizations and individuals understand how and why people make mistakes, especially mistakes that could prove to be catastrophic, and how you can do one of three things with those how you can prevent the mistake which sometimes you can do, how, can, how you can mitigate the consequences when you can't prevent it, or how you reduce the probability to some acceptable risk. Well, folks, welcome to Safety Differently. Ready or not, we've been using things like human performance and what then became human organizational performance and advanced error reduction to do safety differently for several decades, really. But here we all are having to do safety differently. You know, our world has changed in the last few weeks, especially uh, in Europe and now moving into the U.S. But it's up to us as safety professionals and practitioners to be and become highly reliable in our support for the field. Our capacity will be tested. So will our resilience. As safety leaders, we have to lead during this new time with intentionality. Let's remember that a lot of the high risk tasks aren't being removed. So we may be working remotely and we may be providing remote support, but we have to be prepared to support the people that are doing the tasks that have risks, even if that is remote and even if it changes the way we've done that in the past. So we should be using everything we've learned over the last 30 years about prevention and mitigation, about capacity and resilience, to help those people that are still out there working at risk. Some of the things they're dealing with come in the form of the known error traps. Just imagine the stress and the workload and the height and the time pressure that are on the folks in the field that are trying to keep our lights on, that are trying to keep us manufactured, that are trying to keep the goods flowing in warehouses and in trucks and in trains. Those folks are now being subjected to what we've known as as the error traps or or an increase in vulnerability forever. We have to understand those so that we can give good, timely, accurate um, information to people to help them reduce those vulnerabilities. If you think about the, the traps of poor communication or vague or poor written guidance, and overconfidence, first time or infrequent tasks, are we helping them by providing and paying attention to the triggers that tell them they're at risk and and that could be a risk for an error rate as high as as 50 percent. What about distractions and first day back and extended shifts? Are we compensating in our processes to help reduce the impact of these traps? Are we understanding that perhaps some of our rules may get in the way of safe performance during these times? If you think about the trap of distractions You know, a lot of organizations have very strict rules about mobile device use on tasks. But if we've got somebody that is doing a first time or infrequent task because someone else has been sequestered or quarantined and that individual needs some information, we have to provide that help chain remotely now. They can't come to the field. Why would we not want the workers to be able to FaceTime a subject matter expert or a safety professional? Why would we not want the the opportunity and ability to have someone available remotely that that help chain needs to be more accessible now than ever? And really, they probably can be because it's not like we're tied up in meetings and other things at the office. So we need to make sure that as safety professionals, we're using the current system to make sure that we're available even when we may not be able to go out in the field and be there personally. Certainly we wanna do that and go out and engage when we can, but safety is being done differently. Are we making sure that we provide people some of the more technological tools? There's a free app out there for pre-task briefing. It's called Illumi Task Ready, and it asks the right questions for a two-minute drill, but because it's done on a mobile device, Maybe it gets sent to a supervisor that can't be with that crew that's doing a new new to the task or has somebody new to the job that helps identify the risks. So you can push a button and email that briefing to a peer or a first line supervisor or a subject matter expert and just get a get a second check before the task goes on. Because, again, for us, we're changing in in the way we have to operate as safety professionals But the high-risk tasks that are happening in the field are what is keeping, at least in the United States, are what is keeping our country running. Are we ensured that people are enabled to stop work and seek out help instead of just encouraged to do it? Have we given them the tools to identify for themselves when they are at risk so that they can self-identify the vulnerability and then give them the tools to be comfortable stopping and seeking out help? How do I do that? Who is available? How do I get a hold of them? Now look, I really get it. I'm an ex-field operator, and I would kind of feel out there on my own during this time. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. There's probably even some resentment that others are working from home when the field worker has to be out there conducting critical tasks. and, And they're as worried about their family as we are about ours. All of these things can be distractions And as safety professionals, we need to help wherever and whenever we can to make it easier easier for them to create safety. I mean, safety is what we do, it's not an outcome. That's old safety is worrying about the outcomes. Need to use things like the with model, understanding the work environment, individual capabilities, task demands, and human nature to make sure that people focus on some of the more important attributes. The two that are impacting people the most out there now is a match between the individual capabilities, what with people being new to the task or or coming back after 14 days or the first time task and the task demands. And those task demands may be shifting by the minute, by the hour, by the day. So the organization has to ensure that slowing people down to produce a safer environment or condition is imperative. And again, the supervisor, the the manager may not be able to be out there, depending on the requirements uh, for sequestering, to make sure that that happens. So we need to make sure that we're more available. You know, those critical elements of safety, uh, creating and managing effective defenses, uh, reducing uh, the probability that an error drives a bad outcome, or mitigating the consequences and minimizing the consequences if something happens, they're a big challenge in our current situation. And we may not have the time or organizational capacity to create and manage as effective a defense of defenses as we did even two weeks ago. So we better make sure that our folks have the knowledge, the techniques, and the tools to reduce probability and consequence. Also, in pertaining a lot more to or what's going on now, is some ways that we need to think organizationally and individually about application of rules and standards. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot of information out there on reducing rules, but some of our rules were written in a way that the lessons we've learned in the past are encapsulated in the rule, but they have to be followable. So there's a model out there that can be fairly predictive about whether a rule is followable. It's called deviation potential. It's It says that the probability somebody's going to deviate from a rule that could produce a potentially bad outcome is directly proportional to the difficulty of that rule and inversely proportional to someone's perception of the risk associated with the task and the potential somebody's going to see us. Well, if you think about that in the current situation that we're in... Um, <laughs> I got to tell you, it, sequestering or staying home or, or working remotely isn't very difficult, but some of the rules that we have to follow related to cybersecurity are mentally difficult. They're hard to remember when they're not right there in front of you in the office. But also think about how we've been disserviced in displaying the perception of risk. Now, I think our country has a better perception of the risk associated with what's going on uh, with, with the coronavirus now, than we had a few weeks ago. And people are now starting to respond to that. But think about the fact that for weeks, we told people that young people were gonna be okay. And we didn't know that. So we have to make sure that as safety professionals, we express risk in a way that people get it, that they can match their perception of risk with the real risk. Because not only has work as imagined changed, Work, has, work as done has changed. And so as safety professionals, we need to change the way we help people do safety. Because in the end, it's harder for us to help them remove the risk remotely. So I hope that's what uh, people were looking at. It's some of the things that we're focusing on here at Fisher Improvement Technology and ways that we can get information to people in real time. And I'm going to turn it back over to Jay.
4: Well, thank you, Rob. I really do appreciate the information. Now, I want to let everybody know, here's what we have going on. We are actually coming across on Twitch.tv, if you're watching the video broadcast version, um, of course, on YouTube. We're also doing the Facebook groups and on some limitations on LinkedIn as well. We're also going to be available um, on Twitch.tv safetyfm.com, safetyfm.live, and the different apps. Now, what I'm asking for people to do is to go to safetyfm.com if they have questions, and we will take those questions at the end, towards the end of the event. That way, we can actually have the whole panel of hosts answer the questions as they come about. So, let's get ready to move on and go into our, our next host coming up.
1: Please welcome the host of The X Factor of Safety, Pedro Marcial.
6: Welcome, everybody. I uh, hope everybody's having a wonderful day. Uh, this is a great, great time to be around and to understand that fear is not an option when it comes to fighting this global pandemic and epidemic especially those that have children you know as we move forward and and understand the the actual outcome of what's to come about having the children brave by your side while you too being brave it will definitely help uh, all the adversity that's going on in the world Um, you know I'm in Georgia and some of the some of the facts that are happening here locally you know we have 287 confirmed cases in the state of Georgia alone. Um, And it's, you know, it's a pretty scary thought, especially when, you know, the kids are watching the news and seeing what is going on out there in the world. But rest assured, keeping them safe is is the priority because they are the future. Uh, They are the ones that will be, you know, here way past us adults and us safety professionals. And some of them might end up going into the safety profession, so uh, my message to families that, that have small children, make them aware of what is going on, but don't let them be afraid of what's going on. Make them understand that washing their hands is a normal act in life. It, it, it happens. It's what you have to do uh, to, to stay clean, to prevent spread of infection. Also, if they start to feel sick, to let you know right away that that definitely becomes one of the major issues uh, of the spread of the virus is not knowing when you are sick or when you're not sick, and being around people. Self quarantining yourself and quarantining as, as across the states uh, is definitely playing a big part to you know bringing down that curve and flatlining. Um, it's not happening quickly enough for some of us, but we definitely know that it is on a decline. Uh, with some of the the quarantine that's going on um, as a safety professional in the construction field you definitely have to make sure you you adhere to some of the you know the federal guidelines that they put in place the cdc has put in place with keeping your workers safe um, you know any private sector employee and, and employer should be abide by abiding by those rules as well just to make sure everybody is is safe and sound hand sanitizer uh, you know, the, the cleanliness of the hands, the cleaning down of common touch tools, those types of things will definitely help prevent the, the spread of this infection. Also, I know some, you know, workers and workforces out there are having a hard time coming by uh, water and hand sanitizer. So um, one of the resources out there, distilleries are now making hand sanitizer, so get with your local distilleries and, and and get that hand sanitizer. And they're handing it out for free. All you have to do is bring a container to be able to uh, put the hand sanitizer in. And they're doing that to, to help the community while these shortages are, are happening uh, across the country. You know, having kids myself, teenagers at that, they don't want to listen to anything that we're saying. But on the same note, we definitely have to make sure that they are made aware and not always listening to to what's going on on social media. There's a lot of false information that happens out there. Um, so, same thing goes with the workforce. Any any false accusations or false media that they're getting, uh, they should be coming to to a, a reliable source. Looking at the CDC website, looking at the federal websites, and the local government websites that have been uh, put into place to get that information across and then relaying that to their workers. And, you know, if you have people that that speak Spanish and don't kind of understand, at at your job site, you can always uh, find an interpreter. They have all that, all the resources available in Spanish and other different languages. So that way that barrier, that communication barrier is never, never an issue because we want to make sure that those individuals are safe as well. You know, one of the things I want to add here in in Georgia, the the governor is definitely putting, you know, good use to the resources. Uh, There is an Air Force base where, you know, confirmed cases have been um, placed and definitely using all the resources to to help facilitate any new cases. There has been a total of. uh, Eighteen hundred tests that have been issued. So again the testing the drive up testing facilities. Uh, if you don't have to go to a drive- up testing facility, if it you know call your doctor first and see what is going on, um, if it's a mild allergy reaction, if it's just a common cold, and then once you get to that severe state then I, I suggest going to one of those testing facilities or you know possibly the hospital, but we want to minimize as much time out and about as well as saving those resources for the individuals and those confirmed cases that we end up getting. Um, if you have and some of the precautions you take on a construction site and what you end up having um, on a construction site and anybody that seems sick, anybody that shows signs of being sick, just go ahead and, and you know tell them to self-quarantine. Send them home because you know they are going to be around everybody else. They might sneeze. They might cough. They're going to come in contact with tooling, machinery, uh, and and clean up after those people. If if they find out middle day that you are that you know that they are sick, they will end up you know infecting somebody else. So just make sure that you're taking those precautions on a construction site. it's, it's very hard to keep a construction site sanitized. Because it's such sometimes such a dirty place, but in this time, you know, time and age, and what we're going through right now as a, as a country and a, and a nation, we definitely have to have that mindset of being able to disinfect and being able to keep clean and keep you know people self quarantined so the spread does not continue to happen. Um, you know, with that being said, again, all those that have children, make them aware. That is my biggest take, uh, and, and what I want to want to pitch out there is. Make sure they are aware of what's going on. Keep a close eye on them because they are young people are not immune to the coronavirus. Uh, They have a less chance of being infected, but they could still get infected and then cause troubles for older generations. So just be mindful of that and make sure. Thank
4: you for the time, Pedro. Really do appreciate it. Thank you for actually sharing your messaging here. Um, Also, I wanted to also point out that this is actually Pedro's first week on Safety FM, so this is definitely some interesting times for this to actually be going on, but I do appreciate the message. Hopefully, you will have some questions towards the end that you'll be able to answer. Thank you for what you're saying. Please welcome
0: the nerd,
2: the Hope Nerd, Samuel
4: Goodman.
0: Hello. Howdy. Hi, everybody. Sam Goodman, the hopner, Nerd. I'm happy to be here. Um, Let me start by sharing with what I'm seeing a little bit locally here in my neck of the woods and and with some of the organizations I interact with. Uh, Most of the organizations that I'm involved with, I'm seeing some pretty smart things out there Um, from most, maybe not all, but from from the vast majority of them. I'm I'm seeing non-essential folks being directed to work at home, which seems like a pretty great idea. I'm I'm one of those non-essential folks right now. So for me personally, I'm distanced. I'm working from home um the show must go on though right the work must go on so most of my stuff i'm accomplishing through zoom skype facetime all that kind of sort of stuff um for those folks that are essential we we have processes and things i'm i'm, I'm mostly involved with utilities and and, and power generation so There are folks that have to remain there Um, for those folks that have to stay. I'm seeing those folks being socially distanced in place. Um, Some of the practices that I'm seeing are are maintaining six foot distance from each other. No sharing of work areas, equipment. Um, It gets pretty interesting when you get in the control room of a power plant trying to keep folks six foot (laughs) away from each other. But but they're making it work. Um in our larger facilities around elevators, I'm seeing the limit or people being limited to the amount of folks that can ride in elevators, sometimes one, maybe two maxed. Um, I'm also seeing increased sanitization processes happening um, hourly, sometimes every half an hour. Um, one thing that I'm seeing starting to manifest here more recently is symptom checks, uh, temp checks upon entry. Um, we're in the midst, or at least some of the folks that I'm involved with, we're in the midst of, of some outage season. So we have tons of contractors that are still arriving onto sites. We have tons of essential personnel that are still arriving to sites. Um, so as we're doing that part of part of their way in, every single day uh, they go through a symptom check station, they go through a temp check station, uh, which is pretty interesting. Uh, my significant other works in healthcare and they're doing the same thing at their facilities. Um, as providers arrive to work, they're basically checking temperatures and if they exceed uh, a certain point Point, then they're being directed to go home and not come back uh, until that until that temperature lowers um, locally. I, I'm in the downtown Phoenix area um, locally. What I'm seeing is I'm seeing a lot of great things actually from local and, and state government. They're really stepping up to support local businesses and citizens. Um, the areas in which I'm, I'm really proud, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of stuff from local companies. Uh, they're doing some really cool things. Restaurants are remaining open. Um, they're kind of going to drive-through only, pick-up only. Um, DoorDash is doing the, basically a door, door doorbell ditching right now to where you order your food. They'll drop it on your doorstep, ring your door, uh, and run away. But it works, right? <laughs> um, the one thing that I'm seeing is, is, I'm seeing a lot of panic in our local grocery stores. Uh, shelves are getting a little bit of bare, are getting a little bit bare. Um, so it's it's pretty interesting to see some of that panic start to manifest. Um, Local grocers are actually starting to counter that by um, offering certain shopping hours to more vulnerable citizens. Um, So from about 5 a.m. to about 9 a.m., most of our local grocers are only opening to folks that are 65 years old uh, and above to allow them to get first pick at the things that they need. So I, I thought that that was pretty cool and I wanted to share that. Um, for me, what I'm seeing out there is I'm seeing a lot of polarization. Though I'm seeing folks that some that are extremely optimistic and some that are not so much. And and the message that I really wanted to share here uh, is that I really believe that it's a time for balance. Um, too much optimism while diminishing the threat is going to risk more lives. Too much panic is going to risk more lives. So I think we need to find balance. And I think we help to promote that balance uh, as safety professionals by driving people to valid and real information. I know that's been said a couple of times, but there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I think we need to continue to direct direct people to valid news outlets. We need to continue to direct direct people to the CDC guidelines. Uh, We need to continue to promote the stuff that actually works. We know that social distancing works. We need to continue to drive that. We need to drive those solid sanitization practices. Um, With that being said, though, uh, it's a time for helping, not hiding. We need to make sure that we are reaching out. We need to be encouraging other folks to reach out to the communities, to their neighbors, to their families, to their friends, to make sure that they have the things that they need to make sure that we can be helping uh, in any way that we can. Um, From our profession, I think we need to act as the calming effect during this, this kind of storm that's going on. Uh, again, I think we need to drive folks to balanced and valid information. Uh, I think we need to continue to drive preparedness, not panic. Uh, and we really need to be helping each other and not hiding. Uh, and that's really all
4: I've got. Back to you, Jay. Well, th- I, really do appre- I really do appreciate that, Sam. I think that you covered some great information there. And definitely when we get towards the end here, I would really like to have some more information on what's going on with um, how you were saying with your significant other in the healthcare process and how they're really going into some some of that detail. But I really do appreciate, appreciate your it. sharing. So let's go ahead and move forward and go into our next host.
1: Please welcome the host of the Safety Consultant Podcast, Sheldon Primus.
7: Hey, well, welcome everybody. Thank you so much for this time that you've given me. And uh, I'm really excited about this town hall. So I'm going to break up my time into three different ways, if you will. So the three different ways that I am going to break up my time is I'm going to first talk about uh, being a plant super for the utility sector, and then uh, what we used to do with business continuity. And then the second thing I'm going to really worry about is like the EH&S component to what we're dealing with with the COVID-19. And then the third is just my plan as uh, the family plan itself. So, uh When I first got started, I've been actually in the wastewater field, so liquid utilities. Everyone's got to flush, right? You got to make sure that you can flush and you could uh, get that utility side going. So we always had business continuity plans. We've always had plans for pandemics. Uh, So your utility is going to be okay. First, let me let you know that if they're run well. So usually what we had to do, we had to break away from some things that uh, was like just-in-time product ordering. Couldn't do that because for us, if there is a breakdown and a lift station's about to uh, back up into a street, you have to have another pump ready. You have to have another system ready. So uh, lean management might be something that you might have to start talking about when you are addressing pandemic preparedness in the future. Cross-training is another one. You might have to start thinking about cross-training, and when you do that, you're going to have to step on some people's toes in between, you know, this department and that department. You know, it's like the Crips and the Bloods with these different departments, right? So you're going to really have to start dealing with that and the union contracts and things like that. So business continuity is corporate culture. But corporate culture, if done right, is safety culture. So if these things are happening together and the corporate mindset is going to be, let's work on things where we're not going to be stressed out because we've had a plan in place. Stress, as we know, will also affect the environmental safety and health of your workers, and then you're gonna see uh, more issues that will happen because of that. Uh, the organization itself becomes dysfunctional. So with that dysfunction, then truly you're gonna have a situation where you're gonna lose sight of how you're gonna protect everybody and basics. And the EHNS basics is hazard controls, right? That's our basics. So we already know the COVID-19 is our hazards. Our controls are gonna be engineering, admin, PPE. So we're always dealing with the PPE and you'll have to teach your workers how to use the PPE right, but uh, you're going to have to think of transmission. So if you could really, really help people do a touch and a contact profile of what they touch, how they uh, deal with touching their faces, everything else, that's going to help them uh, on the EH&S side. But truly, you're going to have to really go back to basics on that one. And that leads me to my plan as a Family, we're truly going to uh, look at some of those things. I'm a caregiver And you know my caregiver that my wife and I are doing is in that high high uh, Area where if she becomes infected we will really have to look out for that So we are doing the isolation like we're hearing the social distances I'm gonna add some gloves in that too because PPE again if I'm looking at my contact and my touch profile and if I'm truly out in the open and you're going to grab that pen to sign for your ATM card and you're going to, you know, pass that card to someone else and everything else that we touch, then that's a, a point of contact, a point of entry. And i um, switching my business. I'm doing a lot of online courses like I have before, uh, written programs. But the true part and the true nature of what I'm currently doing and my family as well, my wife and I have been doing this for a long time, we've breath- just started to breathe even more started to meditate and uh i shouldn't say start i've been meditating for a while but been doing that for a while and it's truly helping and some of businesses are already getting into this before and we've seen that so i I really believe if we get perspective through that we'll all make it through this time Uh, pandemics unfortunately may not ever go away but preparedness will make it easy for you so if you have any comments, any questions, any of those things, just please go ahead and uh, put that in where Jake tells you to, to log that in, and we'll be here to, to help you out with the, this portion of our time. So uh, stay well, and I will talk to you guys later.
4: Sheldon, thank you very much for sharing. And like Sheldon just said, if you do have some questions or things that you would like to share, please go to safetyfm.com. We do have a bot right there where you can actually enter in the information. Also, we are capturing some of the information on some of the the streaming platforms. Now, I will tell you, for some reason, we do tend to run into some issues from time to time on the Facebook side of it if you put a comment there. So there's probably a good possibility that we will not catch it from there. So if you do go to that bot on safetyfm.com, we'll be able to assist you. Let's go to our next presenter, please.
1: Here is a message from our in-house safety pro, Blaine J. Hoffman.
4: Hey, Jay. Hey, everybody
2: that's on the town hall. Sorry, I could not make it uh, to the live town hall meeting, but I talked with Jay, and he has graciously allowed me to record a message for you, I am uh, practicing a little social distancing right now uh, in the Smoky Mountains, the Great Smoky Mountains. Um, nobody around. We got the camper packed full of supplies. We have our own uh, restroom facilities on the camper and everything. And so uh, we're far away from most people. It was a good time to just take a break from everything. So I, w- I wanted to kind of just bring something up that's been on my mind as it pertains to the workplace. Uh, First, go to the cdc.gov website for the COVID-19 updates and there is a tab for employer resources, uh, interim guidance for employers, and make sure you review those. But as I sit here, I want to, to share with you about an opportunity that we don't wanna miss. Uh, it's hard to think of things that are going on right now like, like this and think of innovative opportunities and ideas, but that's what we need to do as safety pros. So take this opportunity to be innovative and think of alternative ways that we can engage people other than face to face. It's an opportunity for us to strengthen those outreach efforts as well uh, during these times. Things like um, training, you know, alternative ways of reaching uh, associates and employees, meetings, uh, toolbox talks, uh, stretches. Stretching, you know, self-guided stretching is a good is a good thing to do now uh, because you don't want people huddling in large groups. Uh, you want to make sure they have sufficient space between them. Again, we keep hearing, um, you know, six feet or more. And so that could be difficult in some workplace settings. So self-guided stretching, uh, limiting meetings, but yeah, as safety professionals, we still need to be able to communicate. And we obviously, we're people people, right? Um, that old uh, phrase, we still wanna engage with workers. So think of this as an opportunity to be innovative and creative and uh, use make good use of technology, obviously. But you know that's what's gonna be uh, tough. Uh, Other things employers can do is staggering start and stop times if possible so that you don't have large amounts of workers coming into a building at one time staggering breaks and lunches Uh, make sure that your cafeteria facilities are you know removing some some chairs to prevent people from sitting together in large groups Um, things like that but just get creative and stay vigilant i wish i could uh, i'm gonna see the recording of the town hall but i wish i could be joining you live but i just wanted to share sort of you know my two cents on what i'm going through right now and The way I'm looking at it, uh, the lens that I'm looking through is, okay. it's an opportunity to be innovative and to create new channels of communication and new ways to reach people and stay ahead of uh, everything. But, you know, just stay vigilant, as I said, and um, I love you all, all your safety pros. So keep doing what you do. Thanks.
4: So truly do appreciate Blaine J. Hoffman taking the time to actually send a message in, even though he was unable to make it. So let's continue on with our next guest.
2: Please welcome the host of Insight into your safety culture,
4: Dr.
3: Tim Ludwig. Hey everybody out there in safety FM land. I know uh, there's an international audience. So it's a, I know this, uh, this COVID virus is, uh, impacting us all around the world and gives us an opportunity to uh, come together as a world community. You know, what a difference a week makes. Oh, my gosh. I mean, many of them, if you're like me, many of us went to like fully optimized or maybe even over optimized lives full of activity and stress. And, and just in a week, now we have sequestered lives, kind of devoid of activity and, and actually still full of stress, you know, with this, uh, I guess, silent army of virus just waiting outside our doors. You know, So nowadays we're into, you know, just we get all this, these instructions on how to stay healthy and probably more to the point. Uh, how to keep our society healthy uh, to deal with this crisis, you know many of the instructions out there are to literally do nothing yeah, yeah we 're to stay at home we 're to not gather in groups and and frankly to me and probably to you guys out there it 's a bit maddening you know the reason it 's maddening is that that we 're humans <laughs> we 're animals we 're active creatures uh, we 're built our bodies are built to act on our environment, we have brain systems, a limbic system, and otherwise that that, uh, that they're there to help us adapt to our environments, so our uh, actions are more successful. We are not passive creatures you know, until, you know, the end of the day when we plop in front of Netflix and, and become couch potatoes. Well, and in fact, you know, when our bodies are passive, it starts breaking down. And I bet a lot of you out there are feeling the same way if you've been at home for a while and, and you haven't exercised. This is the central premise of of behavioral science. Uh, I'm a a scientist, I work at a university here in North Carolina, United States. Uh, We're calling it Zoom University these days. Uh, And behavioral science teaches us that behavior is an active phenomenon. It's not passive. Uh, In fact, we we call this the dead person test. (laughs) Although in our woke age, we should name it the dead person test. Uh, And the test is, if a dead person can do it, then it's not a behavior, because dead people can't behave. So we need to be active. We need to be active in this crisis. You know, as this crisis emerges, we're going to experience many heroes among us. There's going to be heroes, certainly our healthcare workers, our scientists, epidemiologists, the leaders among us, uh, podcasters, uh, Jay Allen, everybody is going to do uh, things, some things small, some things big, some things making a difference, uh, large in many people's lives, some people just helping people one on one heck, the social dis- distancing that we're all doing right now is not only to keep ourselves healthy, but it's it's uh, primarily to kind of keep the sickness at bay, keep it at a management rate, so our healthcare facilities can keep up with the you know the critical cases. You know, in some ways, we're all heroes. Now, I work with a major grocery distribution warehouse. It serves about uh, twelve eastern states in the U.S. Uh, with about fifteen hundred employees and another three hundred drivers and uh, you know, as we consider the heroes of this crisis, we may also want to look at the businesses out there that provide the food, the fuel, the staples, and other, other means for our lives. In the midst of this big scare, uh, I know at least 1,500 folks that are actively going out of their homes and laboring each day to make sure my family and some of yours will have access to food and staples and that, that precious toilet paper. Uh, this grocery distribution uh, company had just welcomed a new president. Uh, back in the fall, and she's been very actively involved in our behavioral safety uh, teams that we built in the warehouse and in the transportation uh, delivery group. And as this virus started becoming a national emergency, uh, she knew her company would be called upon and to do extraordinary things for for uh, our community, these 12 states that they operated in. You know, so she emailed me, and she told me that it was really interesting. She told me that she considered this event of the virus to be a possible tipping point for her company. She saw it as an opportunity to to up their game and visibly show value, you know, to their customers, the grocery stores, and to their customers' customers, which is me, like the consumer. <laughs> and I agree. In fact, we're counting on on grocery distribution warehouses to have our back out there. And so her her and I finally got a chance to talk. She was about to broadcast a company wide video, so all her employees could hear the important message about the COVID virus uh, outbreak and the steps the company is going to take. You know, now, by this point, all of us uh, have heard, gotten messages from everyone, from our employer to airlines, to insurance companies or shipping services. Heck, I'm getting stuff from my yoga studio and wine club, you know. <laughs> uh, her message, uh, she told me, was to a lot of the same caring messages of concern for employees and families and links to information, et cetera. Uh, but, but the be- behavioral question she had for me was around warehouse security. You know, being one with all the food and toilet paper, they had to secure the facility from outsiders. And her immediate problem was uh, that family members were coming by the warehouse and there were unlocked doors and things like that. And her message is going to be, don't ask your family members to come. Don't leave doors unlocked. And it sounds a lot like the kind of passive rules that we have in our safety uh, systems, right? Don't step in front of the hand truck while it's still moving. So I advised her that people are active. You know, they don't want to sit back and be passive. And and this particular set of heroes, we want to be active in the case of our nation's uh, crisis. But it'd be be difficult for someone like her in a presidential position to get her arms around the active behaviors that'll make a difference. So I reminded her and I'm reminding you folks out there that you have competent leaders and you you have empowered safety teams of employees. They're out there on the front line in the best position to articulate the active behaviors that are critically needed. You know, certainly there'll be there'll be leaders out there that can make a difference, and we have to make sure that we're taking care of their ideas. Indeed, she could be on the cusp of about fifteen hundred great ideas for impactful pinpoints for our employees. Ideas that one person can't can't come up with. In fact. When each of her 1,500 employees come up with their ideas, they're going out to her families and going out to the communities where they can influence them. So let's, folks, let's not be passive in the midst of this crisis. Let's go out and figure out how we can be active, an active culture of heroes for our companies and communities. And uh, Jay and uh, the fellow podcasters out there, part of this uh, town hall, I consider you guys heroes too. Thanks, Jay.
4: Thank you very much dr lugwood for actually sharing sharing that information i think that it's such crucial and valuable information and and as we are aware you are the only behavior-based behavior-based safety person that's on here so i know it gets a little freaky sometimes when we do the mix thing but i really do appreciate you coming on let's go ahead and move on to our next host
1: we all need heroes please welcome the safety justice league
8: Hey, it's Abby from the Safety Justice League, and I want to say thank you to all the fellow podcasters here on the town hall today, and also a big thank you to our fellow safety professionals that are listening in. This was week one of who knows how long that things will just be very, very different. And in case no one's told you yet this week, you're doing a great job. And I want you to remember to take care of yourself in all of this, too. You're only human and so are your workers. So communication, even over communication is key at this time. And I'm so lucky to have the rest of the Safety Justice League to bounce ideas off of. So if you're solo, like a lot of us are safety department of one, We'd love to be your virtual coworkers and support you at this time. And I want the rest of the guys to chime in too, but I just want to make echo some things that other podcasters have said that I hope that safety professionals don't forget their fundamentals at this time. Things like job hazard analysis, risk assessment, worker training are so important, especially as people are starting to take on some new roles and tasks. Thanks,
9: Abby. Hey, uh, you know, this is Jason Maldonado from the Safety Justice League. And I think... uh, so many great things have been shared already today, and I wanted to sort of carry on with something Sam said uh, about the the polarization that's going on. One thing, you know my industry is is one of those critical industries for food production. We got to keep things running so that we can keep people fed. And I have seen the gamut of, extremes in, in my office, you know, people coming in going, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then other people coming in and saying, you know, this is stupid. This is just a a common cold and, and we shouldn't be worried about it. And I think that's, that's really a shame. And that's what I've taken on as, as my role in this is to be that voice of calm. Um, you know, I had a younger guy come up to me last week, just really stressed out. I mean, physically, you could tell emotionally, you could tell on his face that he was just worried to no end. And he said, what are we going to do? And I said, well, the first thing you got to do is calm down and realize that we're all in this together. We're working toward this thing, toward beating this thing. And we're dealing with it as as the information comes. Every day is something new. And I think it's the shame of the, the whole situation is that we have such a, a polarization, like Sam said, where you've got the extreme saying this is going to kill everybody, it's the apocalypse, and then you've got the other side saying it's no big deal. And I think the truth is actually in the middle. And that's something that that we really need to focus on as safety professionals and be that source of calm. It's almost like a a, a really catastrophic event where you're the first responder, you can't go in there freaking out and and adding to the chaos you have to be somebody who's going to take up the the mantle so to speak and really be calm really be professional and and act on what we know what we are trained to do and i think that uh, a lot of people are doing that i think a lot of people need to be reminded a little bit so that's that's where we come in and again you know reach out to any of us uh any of the podcasters here on this this show here and uh we're willing to help you know, I want to jump off of some of the things that both of y'all
10: said. I, I've been seeing a lot of people that are talking about the heroes that, that are, you know, rising through this. And and it's so true. You've got your doctors, you got your nurses, but you know, you have your grocery workers, you have your restaurant workers, you have those people that are going out and they are doing what it takes to make sure that people have the things that they need. And I love what a lot of companies are doing with the idea of opening it up for, for people a little earlier. You know, you've got schools that are opening up providing meals. I mean, there are so many heroes, but... I don't want to step away from the fact that that as safety professionals, it, it's also our job to to keep an eye on the things that aren't necessarily coronavirus related, that aren't COVID-19 related. You know, send out a daily safety moment to remind somebody about something that has to do with safety that doesn't relate to coronavirus or COVID-19 or, or whatever the newest name for it is. Because we have to keep people focused on more than just this virus. I understand it's the topic of conversation that everywhere they look, they're having that opportunity to, to learn more about it. And hopefully we're directing them as safety professionals to quality information. Uh, to the right places, but we also need to make sure that they're focusing on the everyday safety. Are they backing safely? Are they checking their tools before they use them? There's so many different things that can potentially come into play that have nothing to do with the virus that can seriously harm our workers. So take just a little bit of time and make sure that you're you're giving them that information as well.
11: Hey everybody, it's Nate Brayman, with Safety Justice League, also known as Redbeard. You know, one of the interesting lessons I've learned this week is that I found out my normal lifestyle is apparently called quarantine. Anybody else with me on that? <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, uh, the number one most important thing that I want to emphasize is that in order to delay the spread of the virus is by staying at home and utilizing social distancing, as, as others have already said, um, hospitals are going to get overflowed if we don't flatten that curve. And so, You know, I've been observing in the news that there are young people disregarding that advice. And then, but there are also older people, such as company executives disregarding that advice and requiring employees, uh, ones who are, you know, equipped to work remotely to come into the, uh, that can work remotely and mandating that they come into the office unnecessarily. So my message is to the young and the old, but with emphasis on the older company executives who are ignoring the risks. So... I've boiled it down into five elements and made an acronym so it's easy to remember. I recommend writing down these letters. So L is for listen to experts. Social distancing done best means staying at home. I for imagine everyone is infected. Assume they are and take universal precautions. G for give employees space and trust. And M, don't micromanage. And lastly, A, assume the worst and hope for the best. And I think that by following these five letters, older executives can ensure the best outcomes, but it depends on you.
8: I really liked um, Jason Lucas's reminder as well about that there's still operations going on. And while some of us don't work in super essential emergency types of operations, we're still working. And so the same safety stuff applies whether there's coronavirus or not. And so I want to make sure that our fellow safety professionals remember that as well, that we still have our regular stuff in addition to all this extra stuff. And I just want to make sure people are are taking care of themselves, taking that time to maybe rest their brain at some point during the day, because I, I know there's a lot of frantic communication going on within our workplaces as well and with each other even too. And that can be taxing and exhausting. So find your outlets within your home.
10: So I just just wanted to uh, jump back to what Nate was saying real quick. Um, what what were those letters again, Nate? Just uh, just I was writing down what you were saying. And I wanted to make sure I got it right.
11: The first one is L for listen to experts. The next one's I for imagine everyone is infected. G for give employees space and trust. M for don't micromanage. And the last one's a for assume the worst and hope for the best.
10: No, I, th- I I like that. I like that a lot because I think that everything that you're you're saying is is really something that business owners need to be listening to, because I think it's important that they understand that you know it, social distancing for those that have the ability to do so, they should be doing it.
8: That's why it's. So key right mm-hmm. now, like we've got this it's podcasting. We don't. We're not even in the same room. It sounds like we're always in the same room, but we're not. So <laughs> it's nice to to have these outlets to maintain the social distancing, but still get the messages out. So maybe within your organization, there might be pathways of communication like this that you can use, whether it's podcasting or recording videos, like you see Jason's um, social media safety minute, doing stuff like that, recording videos and posting them on your company intranet to help people get through their day or just short instructions. On and what they can do each day but this is the time that safety and risk professionals can really shine with the different ways that we're able to communicate our message
4: so there was a question that just came in i think it was todd that referenced it in regards is it spelling out ligma
11: uh yep that that's that would be the acronym
4: okay anything else you guys care to share
10: now thank you so much for the time Jay. I think this has been an awesome town hall. I'm really looking forward to everybody else who has time to speak. I really do
8: appreciate Jay, you're a hero in these okay. times. Thank you for this platform.
4: Well, I appreciate everything that everyone does that's on here. Now, I'm going to tell you I really appreciate the information and i there are some questions already coming in in regards of Ligma so we'll we'll go through those there towards the end. Now, I know that most of the people that are on the actual radio station and on our streaming platform are safety professionals. But I actually reached out to a friend of mine to do me a favor. And when I reached out, he is not in the safety profession. And I did ask him to come on and actually tell us what's going on from his perspective in the world that he actually participates in. So here's our next guest. Please welcome Dustin Anderson from HGTV's Fixer Upper to the Safety
12: FM Town Hall. Hey, my name is Dustin Anderson. I'm an entrepreneur out of Waco, Texas. I've got a residential and commercial glass shop, so a service industry. Um, and then I'm a co-owner of a design company that caters to division one sports programs. So to say like most of, uh, most businesses out there that we've been hit by this is, it's an understatement. Um, a couple things that are really interesting to me right now is I'm seeing a lot of industries pull together. The glass side, um, is pulling together from an industry standpoint, from reaching out to each other from borrowing supplies to get jobs done while they're able to get jobs done. Um, We've also seen some really cool stuff on sharing how people are pivoting. Uh, We've seen contact guards like a sneeze guard for retail. So we're calling it a contact guard. Um, We've seen some of those things like come out, brainstorming ideas, uh, ways to help your your customers as well as as your employees. I think those two things that go hand in hand. So um, we're looking at ways to take care of our customers from a standpoint of calling them, making contact having conversations that, that impact them um, from making sure that they understand that we get this and if there's something that we can do to make them feel better about being in their house, then um, you know then we're following those rules and, and guidelines that they're putting forth. But even even more than that, you know we're talking to our employees and we're asking them questions about what are you doing? like what's going on at home? Is everybody okay? Um, and then we're making sure they're comfortable being at work and if they are, we're continuing until they ask us to not uh, from a government standpoint um, or, or it shuts down. We've got a backlog, so we're able to, uh, we're able to have work right now, but you know, the phone's not ringing. So it's very scary for everybody. I think we buckle down. I think we, um, stick together in our industries, service industry across the board. Um, not that there's anything wrong with jumping and using the big guys, but I think it's great to use locally owned and operated when you're looking for something that you need, um, in these service times. And then again, it's just, uh, taking care of yourself, you know, being smart, i working from home today. Um, I did go in this morning and spend a little time at work, but I'm home this afternoon taking care of emails and, you know, going to all non-essential people uh, working from the house. And I think that's a smart move. Um, another thing we're doing on the service side, on the glass side, is we're moving to a four-day work week and we're shifting where um, employees aren't necessarily having overlapping schedules. And I think that helps. We also have the benefit of not being on top of each other because we're in and out of our office all day. So those are just a couple of things we're doing. Um, if I have any, any advice for anybody, it's just stay calm. Uh, it's not a fire sale. It's we're going to have to endure. Um, this is definitely a marathon. It's not a, it's not a quick race. It's going to take some time. It's going to take effort and you're probably gonna have to reach out. You're probably gonna have to find others in your industry or others that are, that are like you in a, a similar business. And you may have to ask questions. You may have to ask for favors. And if you're too proud to do that, well, you may see the repercussions being a lot harder than what they've been in the past. Outside of that, man, keep your head up. I hope all's well, and uh, best of luck to each and every one of you.
4: So I really do appreciate Justin Anderson taking the time to do that, because I know that he is also one of the spokespersons for Glass.com, so taking time to do this was very—I appreciated him actually going out to make sure that he could talk to our audience in that particular regards. I'd like to go ahead and move forward and have our next speaker come up.
1: Welcome to the author of the Pre-Accident Investigation and host of the Pre-Accident Investigation and known speaker, the one, the only, Dr. Todd Conklin.
13: Hey, everybody. So let me start by saying this. Things that never happen, happen. And I think the biggest challenge we have, and it is a challenge, is that our world changed. And not to put a depressing point on this, but the world we will return back to will not be the same world we left. And that's negative and sad, but it's also positive and it's an opportunity. And that's kind of where we are in this conversation. So I appreciate Ligma. I really like Jason's talk about the glass world. Let me add one more little uh, notion for you. So get out your same sheet of paper. And write this down, VUCA, V-U-C-A. Now, VUCA really has to do with uh, some industries call them black swan events. Uh, the world that Rob and I grew up in, we call it a low probability, high consequence event. But VUCA really stands for this idea of, of variability, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and adaption. Because what we're really dealing with now in our organizations is that the world that we thought we managed, the world that we built strategies for, the worlds for which we had plans and path forwards, the world for which we had an understanding of what would happen tomorrow, that changed. And what's weird is that the speed of change is dramatic in a crisis. And you feel this almost minute by minute but your world is is simply a different place. And VUCA really helps you understand at a fundamental level that the normal response to this kind of crisis may not be the right response for your organization. So the tendency is when something like this happens is to really withdraw, simplify, and harden the edges. So you pull inward you no longer look at the complexity of the situation, you look for very simple, quick answers, and you build walls between you and the rest of the world in order to provide security. Those are really good things. There's nothing wrong with those. In fact, we can make a pretty good case from the behavioral standpoint that that's kind of hardwired into being a human being. But the challenge we have is that really those responses are wrong. And I say wrong with the most loving sort of attitude I can say that with. In fact, when you're met with crisis and uncertainty, probably you want to disrupt. So instead of simplifying, really look deeply into the context of the event because that'll help you. Instead of hardening the edges, increase diversity. So you heard Jason say, if you aren't willing to ask for help If you aren't humble enough to reach out and get help from other industries, other peers, it'll be a difficult ride. That's exactly right. You want to actually increase diversity. You want to look for, actively seek other opinions and other ideas. So suddenly the 1,500 employees that are running a grocery warehouse, a, a job that we wouldn't have thought would be essential or high risk, we wouldn't put them in the same category as firefighters and ambulance drivers, but they are. They're in that very same category. That group of experts, the diversity that they represent, that's everything. And so the challenge is is to keep your organization constantly micro-testing new ideas and being flexible and adaptive enough to understand that the world is changing and the idea that worked today may not be the best idea for tomorrow. The biggest challenge we have in the profession is that we're used to having a certain amount of expertise. We know what will happen next. And because we know what will happen next, because we've seen it a million times, our entire history is filled with this, this expertise building activity, because we know what will happen next, we can predict what will happen in the future. That anxiety, because that tool has been taken away from us, is really a big part of how we're responding but I'm not very interested in talking to us about how we respond because we live in our heads. You know, exactly how you feel right now. You know how much anxiety you're carrying, you know, how much fear you have, you know, how much uncertainty you have. You've got that. What I want to tell you is your job more than anything is to help your organization's leaders really build a path forward that takes into account this idea of disruption of ideas, of diversity of opinions, and of the power of restoration, because the tendency to seek some cause for this horrible event will be super, super, super compelling. But in fact, the question I want you to ask is not who screwed up. That question is not helpful at any level. You, you, you hear it, and it's it's not helpful. The question I want you to ask is, who's been hurt by this? What do they need and who's in charge of making sure they get it? Your challenge is to manage uncertainty and you manage uncertainty with certain step-by-step advantages you give your organization. Build diversity, experiment with new ideas, know that tomorrow will be different and know that uncertainty absolutely requires adaption. And the one thing you're really good at is adapting, Jay. That's pretty much how I would wrap up my part. I'll pass it back over to you if you want it. Okay, Todd, I really
4: do. I I do appreciate it. Now I'm going. I'm going to say there's some questions that are coming about, and one of the first ones that I do see on the screen is referencing is how do we actually handle, um, what does it say? Interacting with people that are suffering from depression that were already depressed prior to this occurring. Anybody like to take a, like a chance at it? Hey,
8: it's Abby. I can jump in real quick. Um, yesterday, my employer actually had a, a meeting with all of us, and one of my coworkers brought up a reminder Jay, about our employee really assistance program. And so it's a great time, as always, to bring up to workers an employee assistance program and give them instruction on how to access that and always make sure to reinforce that it's private and that the company, even though they pay for the service, that the company doesn't find out what the worker is calling the e about and then also personally um, i'm a huge fan of using online therapy and so my chosen favorite is talkspace.com and so that matches you with a therapist you can talk text um, or do video chats with them and i have found it to be super helpful
4: thank you abby is there anybody else and the question was related to how should people be interacting well how let's do that again it's pretty much the sum up, the summarization of it is, what would you do right now with people that are suffering from depression prior to this event occurring and then now interacting with this? Because, I, Todd, I think you were saying something at the same time, too, so I apologize. Okay. N- next question, then.
5: Yeah this, is, okay. yeah, this
4: is Rob Fisher. Go ahead. Um, I think we need to be sensitive.
5: I think we need to start being sensitive to some things that we should have been sensitive to all along. And we really need to do some introspection and have conversations with people that we, we really can't we can't eliminate the stressor. So we want to try to help give them some uh, empathy and some tools to manage where they're at and not over expect from them. Because as Todd said, it, it's a new world now. We've known some things that we should have been doing Uh and some of those things we need to start doing right now.
4: So as there is a reference to this new world that there that you referenced, so did Todd. What are you seeing or what are you guesstimating that the changes are going to be, that it's going to be so different going forward compared to the world that we came from, to the world we're going into? And that's for anyone well, that's Jay, on there.
10: <clears throat> yeah, Jay, I, I'd, I'd say first and foremost, we're realizing as a as a world that there's an ability to work from home. So it may not be directly safety related, but I think that technology is now making it available that for people to to work from the house that we didn't really think maybe their job scope would have allowed in the past. So I think that's going to be one of the major changes that we're going to see is just more and more people having the ability to work from home on a daily basis and not just in quarantine times.
4: So I have, uh, uh, I I have a, a question coming in from Tara do you feel that, based on our current infrastructures, that it will be able to support this many people working from home?
7: Uh, you got me, Jake. Yeah, I got you. Okay, uh, I'll I'll tackle both. Uh, if you guys don't mind, first, um, the last question. Truly, I I I think when you're you're thinking about what change is going to be, there's so many trickle down effects that's going to happen so it's it's almost it's impossible to go through that crystal bowl but as you're looking at people staying home that can then truly they have a way of still retaining money but then if you're also thinking about you know school closures and other things where there are families that are hungry you know when the kids were relying on that food then you have food banks and all that uh, so hopefully that trickle down effect is also going to work out but then you also have uh, the egg that just broke that can't be put back in is when there are people who are going to now work from home and businesses start seeing efficiency and start seeing things like that, Uh, that might now start a second economy that, uh, yes, that's a good side, but then you have people who cannot get into that economy without training and everything else. So that's another part of Pandora's box that just opened that we're gonna need to deal with as a society. And uh, the second question, and uh, can you read that one again? I, I kind of lost it's my, related my to infrastructures
4: in if it would actually be our current systems Be able to handle all all people working from home that are currently based on our current infrastructures, I think it's really related more along the lines of internet utilities along those lines
7: Yeah, I could only speak on the utility side because that's that's my career uh, But on the utility side the literally utility side you always see uh, ebbs and flows so you we have what they call diurnal flows so basically people wake up in the morning and uh, they'll start uh, consuming beverages or they'll start flushing whatever and we expect a, a big flow in the morning and then at night when people come home, they'll get another big flow there so the utility itself is rated by flows in the liquid utility side so that means that now your government is going to have to see that uh, the flow pattern is going to change and therefore you might actually need to start building more utility plants uh, so that's going to increase construction and that's going to you know it's going to have a trickle down effect there as well and then uh, you might also have to increase taxes in order to pay for that and that trickle down effect (laughs) again is going to have Happen. And everybody with the broadband, if we're all working at home and we're sucking off the broadband, depending on what kind of system you have and infrastructure there, not everybody is going to uh, have a, a system that can support that. So that's, that's another thing that, that will be taxed. It's just how quickly can we uh, get those resources back.
4: Thank you, Sheldon. Now, just one more question real quick. I know that earlier Samuel Goodman was actually speaking. Um, he did make some references to some change to his significant other on how they were doing the work structure and that they worked for a health care provider. Now, wh- how long ago did you start seeing these particular changes, and were they enforced based on some of the suggestions that we're seeing online, or how did this come about? Hey, Jay, this is, this is Sam. This has picked up <clears throat> really over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I just got
0: a text from him, and, and that's kind of what he was going to say was that, Um, I'll just read from this a little bit to share with you some of the changes. they had implemented some different types of documentation and around assessing for COVID-19 symptoms. They've stopped uh, at their facilities. They've stopped admitting new patients. They discharge any patients that show symptoms of COVID-19 to specific facilities that are designated to take them. They've also initiated employee health screenings uh, outside of the facilities, they have uh, any any person that shows up to work with a temperature of 100.4 or greater or greater uh, is, is basically turned around at the door. Uh, anyone exhibiting symptoms of shortness of breath, sore throat, dry cough, uh, employees showing any signs of those remain outside of the facility until further notice. Uh, clinical staff showing signs or symptoms must be out of the facility for a minimum of three days um let's see they have gone farther to quarantine the facility nobody goes in and out as far as patients no visitations from families um, only specific healthcare providers are allowed in or out this is this is kind of manifested over the past three or four days They've notified families that there are no visitations. Uh, they are using technology such as FaceTime and Zoom, Skype meetings to allow visitations to patients. Um, some facilities are allowing families to come up to the windows, actually, and, and see their families, um, but they're not allowing folks in. The, the facilities that, that E primarily oversees are um, longer rehabilitation facilities and some acute care facilities, um, so we're not talking emergency medicine at this point. Um, but yeah, that's mostly occurred over the past week. Some of that has occurred over the, the past three or four days, um, kind of going a little bit farther. Also shared that they're seeing local field hospitals that are being set up outside of, of the main hospitals. Uh, on my actually on my way over to to do this broadcast, I, I noticed uh, at the at our local VA, there's there's two large field hospitals set up outside of the VA, uh, and they went on to share with us that um, they're doing those field hospitals to treat the normal bumps, bruises, cuts, normal emergency room stuff. Military hospitals are set up; those, those centers are set up to deal with with trauma, not so much COVID nineteen uh, and and they're using the the primarily primarily using the main facilities uh, to handle their cases of COVID nineteen. Uh, most facilities, he goes on to say, are on lockdown uh, again. Essential providers only. So that that's mostly what what they're seeing in that in that that sector. Uh, a lot of that we're in Maricopa County uh, here in the
4: Greater Phoenix area. Most of that
0: is being directed by Maricopa County Health.
4: Okay. Thank you very much. for Really going into detail and really sharing that information and. And thank you to your partner for actually get, providing it as well. Now, I I do appreciate to all the listeners actually taking the time out of their day to take a listen to this. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to take this information, we're going to put it out on a podcast version, but potentially also a video format. Um, that way you can have it readily available for you can go back to some of the information talking about VUCA, talking about LIGMA, talking about some of the different things that were mentioned by some of the panelists that were on here. Also, as well, make sure that you are staying safe. If you do actually have any questions, please feel free. On coming to our website safetyfm.com go into the robo chat i am trying to shoot back responses as soon as i can as soon as i get the information so thank you for doing that and thank you for always being the most important part of safety fm and that's the listener
1: thank you for attending safety fm's virtual town hall for
4: more
2: information go to to safetyfm.com.